he was he was uh, he was really an enemy of God's people, and, and he was fighting against God's people. But God chose to bless him in some ways, and we're going to look at why and, and the implications to that for us. Because I think there's some some things that we can glean from this story that are really powerful and really can help us uh, in our daily walk. Uh, just to, to to build some context for our story this morning, uh, this is going to happen about 850 years before the coming of Christ. It's going to be a time, you'll notice I've got on the map here, that we've got Judah and then Israel, and then up there at the north, there's Aram. And Aram is the same as Syria. So if you see in the Bible, if you see Syria or Aram, it's really talking about the same kingdom. Uh, those of you that are familiar with modern times will recognize that Damascus today is the capital of Syria. Um, so um, this is at a time where uh, Solomon had already been king, he had passed, and remember that after Solomon was king, his son, uh, a guy named Rehoboam, became king, and, and he was going to put um, more uh, onerous uh, restrictions and tax on the people, and there was a lot that rebelled. In fact, ten tribes followed a leader by the name of Jeroboam uh, up to the north into the area that's labeled there as Samaria. So we have a divided kingdom, and this story happens between the kingdom of the north, that's labeled as Israel, and the kingdom up there that's called Aram. And remember that Aram is not God's people. It's really uh, Syrians, and they fought against God's people, and they battled for some of the same lands. So we want to look at our, our uh, hero for the morning, or at least the, the uh, stories about this guy named Naaman. Naaman was a Syrian. He was an important man in the Syrian army and had fought many battles against uh, different people and, and some of them against the children of Israel and been uh, very successful. Uh, now, now, at this time, uh, there was a new king in, um, in Israel. Uh, there was uh, actually what had happened in uh, 1 Kings chapter 22. The king of Israel was a guy named Ahab. And Ahab tried to attack the kingdom of Aram and, over, and overthrow it and take some of that land. But he was killed in that battle. And, that, and, there, and really the whole army kind of fell apart after that. And so after that, they fought these different battles. But there was never really an all-out war. It was just a skirmish here, a skirmish there. Um, and again, Naaman would have been a part of a lot of that. that it says, this is an interesting statement to me, because it says that Naaman was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master, because he won a lot of wars for him, because he had, he had by the Lord, given victory to Syria. Now that's interesting, isn't it? Because it says here that the Lord, I didn't look, that the definition of Lord is a reference to Jehovah God, that by God, he was successful in in his battles, even against God's people. But you know, that's not all that unusual because uh, we find that God has used even people to teach his people a lesson. And I think perhaps that's what was going on here. But the Lord had blessed this man and given him some victories. But he'd also seen some maybe some good things in him, and we're going to see some good things happen for him. But he says he was a mighty man of valor. But there was one caveat to this great life that uh, Naaman had, and that he was a leper. And we're going to talk a little bit more about 
happens is, remember this little girl is from Syria, or, or from uh, Samaria, so she knows, she knows what's going on in the kingdom. And she, she tells uh, Naaman's wife, she says, hey, there is a prophet in Israel. And if you'll go to him, he can cure Naaman, your husband, of this disease of leprosy. And so Naaman gets the news, and boy, he's excited. And he puts together this huge treasure chest of gifts that he is going to bring to Israel, and he's going to try to get uh, get rid of this leprosy. And he puts together all this treasury, and he goes to the king and he gets a decree. And then he goes to the king, he goes from his king to the king of Israel, and he presents this money and, he, and all, all the even got ten sets of clothes in addition to gold and silver, and all this stuff is is laid. Well, the king of, of Israel's name, a guy named uh, Jehoram, and, and he thinks that this is a trick. He doesn't perceive this as something that's really going to be a benefit to him. In fact, he thinks what's going on is that Naaman has come there to ask to be cured of leprosy, knowing that he can't. And then when he doesn't cure him of leprosy, they're gonna, the Syrians are going to declare war against him. So that's, that's the king of Israel's perception of this. And so he more or less freaks out when he, when he sees this, this situation occur. Well, it also happens that there is a prophet named Elisha. And you remember that Elisha worked at the feet of Elijah. And they were both prophets in that northern kingdom. And Elijah was a man of great power. But when he died, a double portion of that spirit was given to this man, Elisha do great and wonderful works for God's people. And Elisha hears this story about this, this Naaman that comes, and he says, send him in. So that he does. So here comes, here comes Naaman. Now picture this. Naaman's got all these, all this gold, and he's got this entourage of people that are following him. And look what happens here. It says, then Naaman went with his horses and chariot, and he stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh will be restored to you, and you shall be clean. And that, that, wasn't what, uh, that wasn't what Naaman was looking for. I mean, he didn't even see the prophet. It would be the equivalent of if me or you went to the emergency room with something that was very serious, and an attendant went out and said, take these two aspirin and call me in the morning. Kind of like that. Or at least that's the way Naaman perceived it. And see, so Naaman, he is, he's very upset by this. Because he's, I mean, it's pretty embarrassing. He's a man of high honor and prestige. And he's got this entourage. And you send a messenger out and say, oh, just go dip yourself in the water seven times down here at the Jordan. And you'll be clean. Well, so Naaman reasons in his heart, and he's bad, so he says, Are not the Abana and the far part of the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Could I have washed in them? Could, not, could I have not washed in them and be clean? Well, the short answer is, because that's not what the prophet told him to do. Well, after Naaman has a little bit of time to cool off, some of his servants go to him and say, look, 
is something great, something that was really hard to do, and you could get rid of your leprosy, would you not do it? So Naaman, upon reflecting upon this device, I, uh, advice, I guess, finally decides, you know, what do I have to do? Why not just try it? Well, as you would predict, he goes to, to the River Jordan, dips himself in the river Jordan seven times as he's commanded, as he's told, and guess what? He's cured of his leprosy. Well, now you talk about the ultimate attitude adjustment. This is it. Because he goes from being very angry that he wasn't, he didn't, he wasn't treated the way he thought he should be treated. But when he did what he was told to do, it worked. So he goes from being very angry to being very thrilled that this disease has been taken from him. And so he goes back to Elisha. He goes back with this gold. He wants Elisha to take this gold because he's so thankful. Well, when he gets back, Elisha refuses. Elisha refuses the gold. He says, no. I'll not accept your gift. Go your way. And uh, Naaman departs. Well, this is not where our story ends, unfortunately, because Elijah had a servant, and that servant's name was Gehazi. And Gehazi heard all of this, and he went, when when he heard Elisha refuse the gift, he let Naaman get way out with it. And then he went after him. And he said, oh, by the way, my master has changed his mind and he would like to take, he's got some guests coming in, and he'll take some of the money. Well, Naaman was glad to give it to him. But see, this wasn't authorized by Elijah. This was the Gehazi's scheme. And we find that uh, after he takes no gift, Gehazi then um, has to go back to Elisha and Elisha knows what he's done. And so, the end of it
forcing. And so it's kind of a, um, it, it kind of is an analogy between sin and leprosy. And you think about it, it's, it's, it's highly contagious. The person that had leprosy had to be quarantined. Now, not because they were being ugly of that person, but because contact with that person would cause that thing to spread. Well, think about how that relates to sin. You're around sin, and you, you condone that sin, you let that sin faster than it will, it will spread. You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul, in admonishing that church, even says, he says, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. In other words, he was talking about a guy who was having an affair there, and that they were to put him out, put him out of the church. And so, uh, leprosy was a horrible situation, and, and God uses this um, sometimes as a plague against man uh, for sin. Well, what can we learn uh, from Naaman in this particular story? The first thing I want you to notice is he tried to buy his way out of it. He was going to get all these, this money together. He was going to pay for the cure. And this, the, the moral of the story for us is we can't fix it. It's our problem, but we can't fix it. And the only one that can pay for it is one that would be sinless, and that would be Jesus Christ who died on the cross. The only one that could provide a remedy was God. And that's what happened here with Naaman, and that's what happens with us today. We can't buy our freedom from sin any more than Naaman could buy his freedom from this disease of leprosy. And the other thing that's interesting to me is that God really comes to us on, on his terms and not ours. You know, Naaman even says in that story that he said, well, I would at least thought that the prophet would have come out and called for his God to come out and, and, uh, and cast some kind of cure upon me. That's what he was thinking. That was his image of how God ought to do or how, how Elisha should do and work through God. But God doesn't work that way. God doesn't work on our terms. He works on and a lot of people today are waiting for God to come to them and appear in some miraculous way. And that's just not really the way God functions in today's world. He comes to us on His terms, and He's made that, that way to Him possible through His Son, Jesus Christ. It's interesting that Naaman was the enemy of God's people, but yet God had mercy upon him and allowed him to like us. He said, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's in Romans chapter 5 and verse number 8. And then, we, we see the next part is that there's human reasoning against God's reasoning. Uh, his his uh, statement here, or his question, are not the waters of Damascus greater than all those of Israel? They may have been, I don't know. But I'll tell you this, he could have dipped himself in the waters of Damascus until the world was level, and he still wouldn't have been cleansed of his leprosy. He could have gone to the River Jordan and dipped himself in there four times, or five times, or six times, and he would have still had his leprosy. You see, what cured him wasn't the water. What cured him was his obedience to what he was told to do. Pure and simple. And that's very true of us. You know, there's a, uh, Connie and I listen to a group once in a while, um, it's called the Purple Calls, and they've got the song that's 
chapter 6, verse number 17, we find this passage. He says, Though you were slaves to sin, yet you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine. I apologize if you can't read that better. It looks good on the computer. That form of doctrine to which you are delivered. And that word form means a resemblance or a type. In other words, it's something you do that is like something else. And of course, the doctrine that they were delivered was the gospel. If you have your Bibles, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and about verse number 3. This is the Apostle Paul writing to that church. He says, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And he was seen of Cephas then by the twelve. The doctrine, the crux, the main idea of the doctrine that they received was that Jesus had died for our sins. So what Paul is saying here is that we as Christians have obeyed the form or the type or the resemblance of that doctrine. Now, the doctrine is the good news. How can you obey good news? You can't obey good news. You can only receive good news. But you can obey a form of the good news, a type of the good news. And that's what one does in baptism. In Romans chapter 6, a little bit further up in that chapter, in verse number 4, it says, Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the Lord and Father, even so we also should walk in the midst of life. For if we have, been, we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. You see, it's a form, it's a form of his death, burial, and then resurrection. We, we obey that form. Now, is there any power in that one? There's no power in the water. The power is in your obedience to the commandments of God, that that's what one would do. When, you, when you're baptized, when you do what he says to do, you're cleansing your sins. Well, how did Naaman respond? What was Naaman's response to being cleansed? He was thrilled, wasn't he? His life was absolutely changed. And you know, the great thing about Naaman's condition is when he woke up the next morning and he looked at his hands, what do you think he saw? He saw the absence of that leprosy. He was reminded that God had been gracious to him. And he even says here, here was his attitude. Naaman said, For your servant will no longer offer either burnt offerings or sacrifices to other gods, but to the Lord. This is a guy who had been a pagan. This is a guy who lived in a country that was, I want to say godless, but really it was polytheistic. They were serving multiple gods, but not the God of Jehovah. And so he's saying, I believe. You know, I didn't believe until I did that, but I believe now because I look and I see I'm clean. Think about that as a Christian in our daily walk. When we're buried with him in baptism, you know, the, the tough thing, the advantage that we don't have is we can't look down and see a difference. 
says that he did. He said, I know there's, there's only God. I'm not going to offer sacrifices to those God. I'm not going to chase after those gods. I'm going to serve the only God that there is. And that's, that's his Lord Jehovah that just cured me of this leprosy. And so the call for us is to realize that when we are buried and raised with him in baptism, he sees us as a new creature. 